Good morning, C2. How are we doing? Happy Thanksgiving to y'all. All right, well, we are wrapping up our series Beyond Thanksgiving, and we talked a lot about um, ways that we can kill Thanksgiving in, in our own lives and, and in our families And last week. Um, but this week, I want to talk a little bit about what Thanksgiving does in us and what a grateful heart does inside of us. I don't know about you, but um, on Thanksgiving, we usually go to my grandparents. Anybody go to gra- Grandma and Grandpa's for Thanksgiving? A few of you, not too many. That, that was a tradition for my family. We always went to Grandma and Grandpa's, and, um, and there was just always so much food. More food than our f- extended family could eat, and there was quite a few of us extended family, so you can imagine the, uh, the spread that was there. But every year, we would have this huge Thanksgiving meal, all sorts of food, desserts, and by the way, anyone, does anybody like, like anise cookies here? Okay, a few of you. I, I, I had a really bad experience with anise cookies when I was younger and tried this thing. It looked like a donut hole with frosting on it. Man, it looked like the best thing in the world. And I went to reach one and grab one. I popped it in my mouth and I was like, this is going to be so good. And I bit down on it and it was like this dry, crumbly, black licorice. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, man. So I, I spit that out of the trash can. I was like, maybe that was a dud. I got another one. Threw it in there. Same thing. So. If you kids ever on Thanksgiving or Christmas ever come across a really nice looking cookie that's like a donut hole with frosting, stay away from that. It's dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. No, but there was always so much food. And I remember that, that the next day, we always spent the weekend with my grandparents. And so the next day we'd get up and, and we'd have breakfast and then lunchtime would come around. And, and I would go into the, the refrigerator and I would open up the refrigerator. And it looked like after the explosion of Thanksgiving... A hazmat team had been called in, and all of the leftovers and every bit of food that had been collected afterwards had been stowed away in, in, in the refrigerator in all these Ziploc bags. Did your did you extended family do this? They, they would put all of, the, all of the food in these like big old Ziploc bags. So you had like a Ziploc bag full of mashed potatoes just sitting right there in the... And, then, right, and it was just full from like the top to the bottom, just full of Ziploc bags, full of all of the Thanksgiving meal. And so we would eat leftovers probably for, well, at least for that whole weekend. And I'm sure my grandparents were eating it for like the next three weeks as well. Um, but now I, I really enjoy leftovers. When I was little, I always thought that it was the ter- like the most terrible thing. I was like, we just had this yesterday. Why are we eating it again today? Now I like it. It's good. Turkey is the bomb. Anyone like turkey? Yeah, it's good stuff. I do too. It's great. So um, today I want to talk a little bit about leftovers. And not, not just leftovers when it comes to like food and, and things that are left over from Thanksgiving in, in that sense, but also when, we, when we're experiencing the Thanksgiving holiday, um, many of us internalize that and we ask, you know, the things we're grateful for and, and, and all that's good. But I want to ask you, what is, what is gratitude left over in your heart? This Thanksgiving, this, this holiday season, what is gratitude left over in your heart? What's left over from the holiday? What's what left over in the aftermath of, of gravity or, or gratitude in your own heart? I was like, gratitude and gravy mixed, gravity. <laughs> what's, what's left over in your heart? And I was, I was thinking about this, and I was like, there are, I believe, there's three things that gratitude... Um, does in, in our own lives, things it produces, things it leaves over. And the first of these is, is it changes our outlook. Gratitude changes our outlook. 
it leaves in us a, a different way of seeing the world. I don't know if you've ever met a, a grateful person or, or you know someone who's especially grateful. I've never known a grateful person to be pessimistic. Have you? No. Grateful people aren't pessimistic normally. It's really hard to be pessimistic or be depressed when you're grateful. And, and so I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I, I, I really think that gratitude in our own lives produces um, a harvest of joy. And, and if you look in Psalms, David is um, speaking in Psalms chapter 28. There's a lot of Psalms, 150 of them. This is number 28. All right, verse 7, he says this. He says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Thanks, man. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Do you realize that that's actually what we do here on a Sunday morning? When we come together and sing songs, we're actually, that praise that we're singing, when we're praising God, that's actually us saying, God, I, I thank you for everything you've done in me, everything you've given me. On, a, on, on the baseline, you've given me salvation. You've completely changed my life from what it could have been. But even more than that, you've given me all these things. You've given me everything I need to live, to be satisfied. And so that's, that's what we're saying, is we're saying, I praise you, I worship you, because you're good to me. That's what David says here. He says, he helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. And so that's why I think that as, as believers, what, what gratitude does in our hearts, the first thing it does is it, it gives us, it completely changes our outlook, and we now have an outlook of joy. It's an invincible joy. It's something that, that no circumstance can take away. Because people that are truly grounded in Christ, people that, that have that, that grateful heart, know that, that even if we don't have the physical things we need, we still have the only thing that matters. And the one who owns everything. The owner of it all loves us. And he gives us everything we need. When I think about this, um, there's a story that comes to mind, and it's found in Acts, the book of Acts, which if you're not, if you're kind of new to the Bible, that's on the right side of your Bible, in the New Testament, the smaller portion, right after the book of John. We're going to go to chapter 16. We're going to look for verse 16. It says, yeah, so that's Acts 16, 16. The heading is, probably says Paul and Silas in prison. It starts, it says this. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. No big deal. Demon-possessed slave girl. All right. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. There's power in the name of Jesus. Is that true? I don't, there's so many circumstances that we go through and, and issues that we deal with in life, impossible situations. I want you to there's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So don't you worry, I've overcome the world. I've overcome everything. And instantly, the demon left her. So her, master's, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. 
isn't it funny how, like, a few people constitute everyone? It's like, someone comes up to you and says, like, you know, everyone is saying that, you know, the way you, what you did was, was wrong or whatever, and you're like, find out everyone is like that person and their buddy or their cousin. Yeah. Somehow, the entire city is now in an uproar because these people lost their, uh, their profit-making venture there. So, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews that shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. I think that mobs really only form quickly. <laughs> Isn't that true? Mobs only form if, if people actually sat down and thought about what they were doing and, and, and thought about the reasons behind it, most mobs probably wouldn't form. I feel like wise people um, avoid a mob mentality. Wise people are slow to speak and even slower to throw accusation. Fools form mobs and, and do rash things. I don't know. So they were beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown in prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Ouch. Stocks are not the most comfortable thing. I don't know if, you ever, if you're familiar with what stocks are, but it's a wooden structure that they put your feet in, and they clamp it down, and pretty painful. And you sit there, and you can't move, obviously, because you've got a wooden door around your feet. All right. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew a sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Paul and Silas were in a difficult situation, to say the least. They were jailed, they were, they were beaten, thrown in a dungeon, had stocks on their feet. And the last thing that we expect them to do, they start doing. They start praising God. Their joy was invincible in the midst of that circumstance. Why? I believe it's because they, in the midst of that situation, in the midst of all that was going on, they knew that God was taking care of them, and they were grateful for God's protection and for his plan being worked out in their lives. Earlier in the book of Acts, it says the apostles, different apostles were, were, were taken and, and were, were, were arrested and beaten. And it says when they, when they walked out of there, they rejoiced because they were kind of worthy to suffer for Christ. They were grateful for this opportunity to share in Christ's suffering, to identify with Jesus. And, and I, I see the same thing here. That Paul and Silas were, were grateful for the opportunity to, to represent Jesus, even if that meant being mistreated for the sake of his name. 
grateful people have an invincible joy. Their outlook is completely changed. I want you to know that, that as we cultivate a grateful heart in our own lives, as we allow Jesus to, to, to make us grateful and, and to change our hearts and, and to help us to see things differently, it's going to cultivate that same attitude of, of joy, that same outlook of joy. The second thing that I think that gratitude does in our own hearts and, 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 and leaves over, I should say, in, in our own hearts is it changes our inlook. This is kind of a word I made up. It's not, I don't think it exists, but basically our outlook is how we see the world. It's, it's how everything is, is pain, the color that everything in our world has. Inlook is how I see myself. Looking in, who, who am I? And this is probably one of my favorite things because I feel like gratitude completely flips the tables because the natural human condition is to obviously to look at ourselves and, and worry about ourselves. And you've got a lot of people walking around with, with bloated egos, prideful, because they matter to themselves too much. I would have to say that I'm probably one of those people. I matter to myself too much. And there's people who, who walk around with, with shattered dispositions, maybe an inferiority complex, for the same reason. They're focused on them. And the cool thing about gratitude is it completely changes everything. And when, you're a great, when you have a grateful heart, you're not focused on yourself. You can't be focused on yourself. You're fo- great, by definition, having a grateful heart means I am, I am wrapped up in, in, in what this person has done for me or what I have as a result of this person or being completely takes away our, our ability to think for, about ourselves and focuses us on God. Gratitude cultivates humility inside of us. Humility is not putting myself down like many people think, you know, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm, you know, you did a great job. For instance, the band. Take the band, for instance. They do a great job on a Sunday morning, right? They do. It's, it's, it's a privilege to have them. Now, if I were to go up to a dude and say, hey, man, you play guitar really well. And, and he goes, no, man, I don't play guitar very well. I'm, I'm terrible. I, you know, I'm, it's, it's not me. It's all, it's all God. He plays the guitar for me. That's not, that's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself or, or, or pretending to think less of yourself, which is more often the case. Humility is having a correct view of yourself or maybe not even thinking of yourself. C.S. Lewis had this to say. He said, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I think a truly humble heart, and, and one that comes as a result of, of having a heart of, full of gratitude, doesn't think of itself. We don't think of ourselves when we have that attitude. We're, we're so grateful for what God's done in our own lives that we don't have time to think for ourselves. We're wrapped up in, in what he's done for us. It gives us a hard time. We have a correct view of ourselves, which I think is, is critical for many of us because I think many of us struggle with maybe not even measuring up to our own view of ourselves. In, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 4, Paul's talking about, um, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you know, I don't really, honestly, I don't care, this is kind of my paraphrase, I don't care what you think about me. Like, in addition to that, I don't really even care what I think about me. 
He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't, even, that doesn't mean I'm not guilty. He says, there's only one person whose opinion matters to me, and that's God's. And according to the Bible, we already know his opinion of us. We've been covered by his blood. Our trespasses in the past, our sins in the past, our sins in the present, our sins in the future have been washed away. It's a clean slate. And Paul's saying, that's what I'm going to hold on to. Who I am, based on who he says I am. Because I know that my, my standard for myself, I can't even meet. I can't even measure up to my own standards. And oftentimes, I'm my greatest accuser. And that's not the, the attitude that we need to have. Paul says you can be free of it all. Gratitude helps us to forget ourselves. We can forget ourselves. Third thing I want to talk about this morning is output. The heart of gratitude changes our output. As followers of Christ, we have a Probably a, one, there's one thing that we talk about a lot in churches and, and is kind of a, probably a, I would say, a difficult subject for many. It's the subject of, of giving. And, and pastors and, and, and leaders oftentimes tiptoe around this subject because everyone coming into the church, especially from the outside, feel like, you know, the church just wants my money. Why don't you go to church? I don't go there because they're just about getting into my pocketbook. And we're talking about this with our students on Wednesday, this idea of giving. And generosity. And I want you to know that as kind of seeing behind the scenes a little bit, I want you to know that Jeremy, as your lead pastor, agonizes over this. Because as a church and as, as followers of Christ, I mean, there's natural expenses that we have to meet as a body of believers, right? We're meeting right now in a building. It's heated, fortunately. Last week, we kind of got to experience a little bit of what it would be like <laughs> without heat. <laughs> we, had a, we had a heater down, if you didn't notice. And, and so... As, as, a, as a body of believers, there's expenses that we have to meet as, as a community. But that's not even the point. See, a grateful heart produces generosity inside of us. And the reason I give is not because I feel com- like I have to, like my pastor tells me to, so therefore I do it. That's what it means to be a Christian is that I give X amount of dollars to the church. That's not what it's about at all. I give and I participate here because I'm grateful for the impact that this community has on me, first of all, and I'm grateful for the impact this community has on my community, on my city, and I believe in it. I want to come on board. And maybe to help illustrate this um, point a little bit better, there's a video from a uh, little-known Christmas film I'd like you to watch. It's a Wonderful Life. They were, they were grateful to, to George Bailey because he had been there for them in difficult times. In fact, he had put his own needs and his own um, finances on the line so, so that they could survive as a community. And it reminds me of what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. He says this in, in verse 9. He says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. This is what's been done for us. And, and for me, this is what challenges me and inspires me to live generously. Because I'm grateful for what God's done for me. And I want to do that for other people. 
and we just got done talking about this in our student ministry, we're challenging our students, what are some ways that you can learn to live more simply so that you can give more? So you can make a bigger difference? Because I, for many of you, maybe, I mean, for, for me, I've been on a few mission trips, and, and some of you here have been on mission trips before, and you've seen other areas of the world. Maybe you just were traveling, and you've seen other parts of the world, and I want you to know it's not like it is here. It's very different. People living with a whole different set of, of needs, of difficult situations. Many of the difficult situations that we consider difficult here would be considered laughable in other countries. Not to diminish the, the situation that you're in. I'm not saying that what you're experiencing is not, is not valid or is not serious or grave. But that's the reality is that there are other situations around the world, people around the world that are, that are living in, in much more difficult and dire situations than what we're living in. And, and the one person we claim to follow, who we say we want to be like, was rich, but he became poor, so that we as poor people could share in his riches. The Bible says that it, he did not consider equality with God or his superiority something to be grasped, but he gave it up, became a man, chose to deal with all of our stuff so that we could live with him. To me, that, that challenges me. I want to live that way. And so Paul gives us some pointers for, for, for how to live generously and how we give. He says, in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. You know, you guys, if we were to give of our finances, for instance in response to pressure because we feel like we have to. That's not really giving. It's not really a gift at all. It's more like a tax. And many people have this idea that God is like a government, and, and, he, and he's, he's looking to see how many different ways he can tax us and, and, and make our lives hard. And I want to tell you, God, that's not who God is. God is not a tax collector. God doesn't need your money. He owns it all. I think oftentimes he's more interested in, in the work that giving does in our own hearts than he, than he is in, in him having our money. Giving actually does something inside of us. It actually exercises our hearts so that we can be more generous. I don't know if you've started, if, I, I don't know, Christmas time's coming up and, and, and everyone says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I just know that in, in, in my own experience when I give to people, it is such a satisfying experience. It's so satisfying, and, and, I, and it just makes me want to give more and more and more. And I think it's because we're experiencing a little bit of the divine nature of God. In that, in that, in that little instance, we're experiencing the divine nature of God, and, and, and we're saying, I'm, I'm becoming like Christ. In fact, that I'm giving of myself, I'm giving of, of, of what I have for other people. He goes on there and he says, For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, or God loves a person who gives out of gratitude. He says, And God will generously provide all you need. You skip down to verse 11. He says, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. You know, God's taking care of you. We tell our students that. As you give, as you sacrificially give, God's taking care of you. Giving not only is is an expression of gratitude, but it's an expression of, of reliance on God, saying that, you know what, I realize that I am not the provider of everything I have. 
I'm not my own supplier. You are. And so whatever lack that I have, if it's important enough, you're going to take care of me. In the meantime, I'm going to trust that this is for my good and you're, and you're changing me into the likeness of your son. Because that is, that is God's one, I would say one of his greatest goals in us on this earth is that he's changing us into the likeness of Jesus on this earth. We're becoming citizens of heaven here on this earth now. So Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is among you. He's saying, I'm changing you into the kingdom of heaven here. It's starting here. You're becoming like me. And we have the chance to give generously. So I want to challenge you. What is grateful, what is gratitude left over in your heart? What's left over in your heart this Thanksgiving season as we go into Christmas? What's left over? Are we, are we truly living grateful lives? Are we living with, with, this, with this atmosphere, this outlook of joy? Are we more focused on other people around us? Are we more focused on, on the need than rather on ourselves and, and, and who we are? On our own insecurities, or maybe on our own ways that we don't measure up? And are we living generous lives? Are we living our lives with open hands saying, God, everything I have is yours. Take it as you need. Give me an opportunity to, to change someone's life with what I have. I believe all of these things start with a grateful heart. All of these things start with a grateful heart. And some of us, maybe we, don't, we recognize right now that maybe I don't, I don't have a grateful heart. I, I know in my own life, in many areas, I am not grateful. And as I was thinking about this and, and praying about it, I was being convicted in my own spirit because many of the things I do, I do very ungratefully without being thankful and there's so many little things I could be thankful for that, that could inspire this, this, this sense of joy inside of me things that God has done for me on a day in day, day out basis every breath I have comes from God am I grateful for that so I want to challenge you what are some, what are some ways that, that, that you can be grateful in your own life what are some things that you're grateful for and, but more than that what is that gratefulness doing inside of you? I believe this holiday season can be, can be a different season, a new beginning for many of us as we ask God to cultivate a grateful heart inside of us. I'm excited. God's doing great things here. As we become a grateful church, the community is going to be changed. As you saw with, with Paul and Silas, their joy, their praise in that, in that prison gave them an opportunity to speak in the lives of other people. People are going to take notice of your gratitude and of the joy that you have. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your message this morning. We thank you for your love for us on a constant basis. We ask that you would um, challenge us, Father, deep down to, to live more gratefully, to be grateful for what you've given us, Father. First of all, just your salvation, your incredible grace for us, God. Help us to understand it more and more. Help us to be baffled by it over and over again. We love you. We praise you. And we give you the glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It's a great thing. This grace that God has given us. Let's be challenged by it. Let's walk in that gratefulness that we have for his grace. His undying grace for us picks us up and, and, and carries us past the obstacles in our lives. Let's be thankful for that as we go forth this morning. God, we thank you for your grace. 
thank you for who you are to us on a daily basis, God. Father, help us to live with that awareness um, day in and day out. Help us to rely on your grace in every situation that we find ourselves, Lord. We love you. and We ask that you would um, continue guiding us this week, Lord. Help us to um, see how we can be your church, Father, where we're at in our jobs, in our schools, in our families. Help us to, to be your church, be your hands and your feet in our community, and to see lives changed by your gospel. It's the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Have a great week.